Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Let's pray. Uh, Father, what a a disturbing uh, picture, what a disturbing story in so many ways. And it it sobers us to come and and to hear these words. Uh, But we are reminded that these words are good and they are wise And they come to us from you. They are empowered by your spirit, even though they speak of death, to bring life. And so would you make our hearts fertile soil for the seed of your word, that it would come to us, that we would receive it humbly with repentance and belief, and that it would produce in us the fruit that glorifies you and that displays your goodness to this world. Holy Spirit, please do your work in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last year, the podcast serial uh, was, was a major sensation. Uh, millions of downloads uh, of this podcast. It broke all records and all thoughts of what was possible for something that was released weekly on the Internet. And, and as many of you know, uh, this podcast revisited the case of Adnan Syed, uh, who is in prison, uh, um, accused and convicted of murdering his ex-girlfriend in, in 1999 when they were both still high school students. And so it is a story about the Sixth Commandment, and whether this young man broke it or not. And I think one of the reasons this show connected with people and was so popular is not only that it dealt with big questions of truth and justice, but also because it connected us personally to the characters who were involved. I remember after one episode, my wife saying, wow, the people in this show who they are interviewing and talking about, they seem just like the people I went to high school with. It's one of those stories that 
maybe makes us wonder about the seemingly nice and normal people around us and what they might be capable of. It makes us wonder maybe even, what am I capable of? It's a story that brings the sixth commandment disturbingly close. When we hear, you shall not murder, we think, finally, one of the ten that's not going to make me feel guilty. And I hate to be a downer, but not so fast. And I say that not only because of a podcast, but because of the Bible. The Bible does not allow us to stand at a safe distance from this commandment. As we will see, it implicates us all in the crime. And so I want us to do a little investigation of our own this morning. And as we look at this command and this story about murder, I want to ask two questions. What's the source of murder? And what's the alternative to murder? So first of all, what what is the source of murder? And the source is right there in that question that God asks of Cain. Genesis 4, verse 6. Cain, why are you so angry? With that question, God brings to the surface, He exposes the seed that will grow into the violent act of Cain. Anger is an incredibly powerful force. It's a powerful force in human history. It's a powerful source in our own lives. And anger is a little bit like nuclear power. It's not always bad. In fact, God is said to have anger. The Bible holds out the possibility of a righteous anger. But in us, it is a force that is so unstable, so easily corruptible. This is what God is trying to show to Cain about the anger that is in his heart. He says, anger anger is not a poodle that you can train and domesticate and keep as a pet. It's a wolf that will take over and consume you and others. Which, tragically, is what happens in this story, right? God's warning is proven true. What he warns Cain of happens. But there's a deeper layer. There's a deeper source for the tragedy of what happens in Genesis chapter 4. Because there is an answer to God's question. The question that God asked of Cain, there's an answer to it. Cain, why are you angry? Well, back up into this earlier part of the story. Cain and his brother Abel both bring sacrifices. They bring offerings to God. And God is pleased with Abel's sacrifice, and he is not pleased with Cain's. And that seems really strange to us. It seems like maybe maybe God is... Being capricious here. Does God just like shepherds more than he likes farmers? Well, no. The issue isn't the difference between sheep and wheat. The issue is the word first. You notice it in the text? Abel brings a firstborn. Cain does not bring first fruits. 
He doesn't bring the first fruits. He just brings an offering from his crops. Understand that in the sacrificial system of ancient Israel, the firstborn and the first fruits represented, they were symbolic of the whole. So in these sacrifices, what they communicated was, all of this that I have, whether it's my flocks or whether it's my crops, all of this comes to me as a gift from God. I don't possess it. It is a gift from Him, and so I symbolically offer the whole back to Him as an expression of gratitude, as an expression of my belonging to Him. So, Abel offers an expression of wholehearted devotion and communion with God. Cain offers a token of pacification. And God says, no, No, that is not the nature of the relationship that I want with you. I don't want a piece of the action like I'm a mob boss. I want wholehearted communion and devotion. And it is God's no that is the ultimate source of Cain's anger. See, righteous anger is joining God's perspective. Sinful anger is demanding our own perspective. Which is what Cain here demands, and he clings to it. And yes, his rejection of God becomes murderous competition with his brother, but ultimately, Cain's problem isn't with Abel. It's with God. And that's why we are still living this story today. A social psychologist named Stanley Milgram did a series of very famous experiments in the 1960s. And he would take a person and he would sit them down in a room in front of a control panel with a button. And he would tell them that that button could administer electric shocks to another person in a, in a different room that they couldn't see but they could hear, which was just an actor not actually being shocked by electricity. But he would tell them this, and he wanted to test under what conditions would one person continue to do harm to another. And on the surface, and a lot of times the study is, is interpreted this way, on the surface it seems that people are just obedient. They would keep doing it because the scientist who was in authority kept telling them to do it. But as, as you dig deeper, these people were interviewed after, the, after it was done and after they found out what was going on in the study, and they were asked, why did you keep pushing the button? And they didn't say it was out of obedience. They said, I kept pushing it because I thought I was participating in something that mattered. I thought I was participating in something that was significant. I was helping to advance scientific research. That is the insight that every genocidal leader understands. You don't enlist people in doing horrific actions by commanding them. You enlist them by convincing them that what they're doing matters. They are participating in something that makes them significant. And that insight is embedded in this story. 
Cain fights to maintain his worthiness. His significance has been threatened. And he lashes out to guard it, to protect it, to build it up. You see, sin alienates us from God. And when we are alienated from God, we are disconnected from the source of our meaning, of our worth of our value. And so life becomes a contest to find it elsewhere. And we build these flimsy and false houses of significance. We build them on accomplishments. We build them on reputation. We can build them with religion. We can build them with wealth. And when those houses get threatened, when our significance is threatened, What happens? Anger. Protective, competitive rage. How dare you embarrass me? How dare you mar my reputation? How dare you prevent me from getting something that makes me happy? How dare you suggest that I am not And if we're honest, we find in ourselves a willingness to harm others in order to guard and promote our self-manufactured worth. And maybe that doesn't get to the point of physical violence, but Jesus in Matthew 5 says, if you're angry with your brother, if you insult your brother, If you have contempt for your brother, you come under the judgment of the sixth commandment. So that part of our response to this commandment needs to be to hear personally God's exposing question. Why are you so angry? Why are you so angry? angry. What are you protecting? What are you guarding? What are you fighting for? Is it is it something true from God's perspective? Or is it that false house of significance that you've built for yourself? Why are you so angry? That's a pretty dark picture, isn't it? That's a pretty dark picture of human nature. Uh, That is certainly a dark picture of our own hearts. But here's the good news. God doesn't leave us in darkness. He doesn't leave us in the darkness of our sin that alienates us from Him and alienates us from each other that creates anger in us. He doesn't leave us in that darkness. And so we can ask a second question. As we understand the source of our anger, the source of murder, we can then go and ask a second question. What's the alternative? What's the alternative to this angry way of life? Well, if you follow the application of the Sixth Commandment in the Old Testament law, you will find a a deep attention 
to how God's people should protect each other. So, for example, just imagine you're an ancient Israelite, and you're going to build a house. And according to custom, the, the roof of that house is going to be flat. Because sometimes you want to have dinner on the roof of your house. Sometimes you might want to throw a party on the roof of your house. So, God, thundering from Mount Sinai, says, when you build a house, put a fence around the roof. Part of God's divine law was a building code to protect yourself, your family, and your neighbors. Or another example, Let, let's, let's say you own a bull. And this bull has a little bit of a goring problem. Uh, when people show up, he lowers his head and charges. So God, thundering from Mount Sinai, says, make sure that you keep him in a fence. That you keep him constrained. Because if you don't, you will be responsible for the harm that he does. There are all sorts of instructions like this throughout God's law. It, it forms and develops what John Frame calls a doctrine of carefulness. A deep attention to protecting one another. Why? Why? Because the creator of life is passionate for the promotion of life. God is passionate for life for the flourishing life of those whom He has created. So that when He says to us, do not murder, He is inviting us, He's calling us to share His heart. Not only to avoid the worst of crimes, but to join Him in passionately pursuing the flourishing life of the people around us. That's why the Westminster Larger Catechism, which is part of our theological tradition, says that one way to apply the Sixth Commandment to your life is cheerfulness. Do not murder, says the Westminster Larger Catechism, means be cheerful. What? Where do you get that? Well, the book of Proverbs says, a merry heart does good like medicine. So you join God in promoting life for yourself and for those around you by being cheerful. Do you share God's passion for life? Now that means, yes, we should oppose social injustices that threaten, harm, and kill. Yes, we should oppose the practice of abortion. We should oppose violence that emerges from racial bias and prejudice and hatred. But you know what else? It also means that we should actively pursue the good of those with whom we come into contact on a daily basis, even to the point of developing a cheerful demeanor. Do you share God's passion for life? 
that are part of your vision for your relationships in your family, in your friendships, at work, with your neighbors? Do you share his passion for life? Now that is a noble alternative to murder, isn't it? Most people would look at that and say, that is beautiful, that is a noble ideal. But what's the problem? There's a problem, isn't there? What's the problem with that? Well, it would be great to share God's heart, but there's still that anger in ours. There's still the problem of that anger. What do we do about it? What do we do about what blocks us from this vision? Well, do you remember how I said in Matthew 5, Jesus implicates us all in the crime of murder? Well, he also there gives us an antidote to anger. And he gives us that antidote in the process of reconciliation. See, Jesus doesn't say, hey, take your anger and go, push it down, suppress it, just pull it back there like it isn't there, let's pretend like it's not there. No. Jesus says, deal with it. Deal with it. If there is something between you and someone else, move towards them and do the very difficult work of forgiveness and restoring that relationship. That's how you respond to anger, not with pretending, but with reconciling. And it's very interesting that Jesus in that passage, he uses the language of brother, and he also puts this in the context of offerings to God. He said, if you go to the temple and you're bringing an offering to God and there's something between you and someone else, drop the gift and go make the relationship right. Does that language sound familiar? I think there is an intentional echo of Genesis 4 in what Jesus is saying. He is reversing this story about brothers and gifts. He is enabling us to live a narrative of life rather than a narrative of death. And he enables us for that with the gift of reconciliation. And if our anger flows from a broken relationship with God, then our reconciliation with others will flow from a restored relationship with God. You see, Jesus doesn't just teach reconciliation. He enacts it. Scripture says that as Jesus lived, as He died, as He rose from the dead, God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. Jesus was murdered so that guilty murderers could be forgiven and changed. Jesus suffered the wrath of God so that your anger could be forgiven and transformed into love. Jesus has purchased reconciliation for you.
so that you can live the narrative of life rather than death. There was a moment in the serial podcast as they told the story and the journalist Sarah Koenig was interviewing Adnan Syed and she was saying to him things like, oh, you seem like such a nice guy. You're so much fun to talk to. I can't even imagine that you would do this horrible crime that you're accused of. And Adnan got, he became belligerent with her. And he said, I am tired of people saying that about me. I don't want you to say that I'm a nice guy. I want you to look at my case and say that I'm innocent. The verdict is all that matters to him. I think those of us who sit in this room, not in prison, accused of murder, we still feel a deep down guilt. And we long for that verdict of innocence. That is what God has given to us in His Son. He looks at our case, but sees it through the person of Jesus. And He declares us innocent. He declares those of us who sit in this room and daily struggle with our anger. He says, you are innocent. And He restores us to communion with Him, where He looks on us pleased with favor. And then He frees us to join in His passion for life. Will you join Him this week? Will you look to your older brother, Jesus, who became the true, perfect, and final sacrifice for you. Will you turn and give him your anger and let him give you his love? Let's pray.